I know a damn racer when I see one, Rob Zachney. How you doing, Rob? Been a little better, not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> so I've got a bad cold, and then I was looking for something cool and uh, like soothing to drink before the pod. Uh, mm. But due to some bad planning on my part, the only thing I have is a nitro milk stout. So fantastic! Yeah, that's it. Just, Just what the doctor snap, ordered. Put that can, crack that can of nos, and we'll hit the race. Uh, you're listening to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I'm your host this week, uh, Danny O'Dwyer, trying to do my best American accent. Um, because obviously Drew Scanlon uh, is not here this week. He is on assignment. He could not be here this week, which will end up being one of the most important weeks in the F1 calendar. Not only because we had, uh, I guess, let's just get into it, the exciting finale of the uh, Drivers' Championship, but, but also we uh, we had the new regulations that are that are you know attempting to fundamentally change uh, Formula One. Uh, which will be coming in uh, soon enough. So we have a lot of bits and bobs to get into uh, this week, including a, a real fun weekend of racing. Uh, Rob, how did you enjoy the unique pleasures of watching a Grand Prix, not only on your continent, but in the same country as you? Well, uh, I liked the TV ads that packed the pre-show <laughs> a, a bit less. Uh, on the other hand, at least there was a pre-show. I'm also not quite sure when Matthew McConaughey became such a fixture of the F1 paddock, and yet there he was. Yeah, throwing up the horns at every camera he could uh, he could spot. Well, six, right? It was it was for the six championships. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. So suddenly, I was... like, I did not know that he was besties with Lewis Hamilton, uh, but yeah. Uh, well, I, both of them have been in a lot of car commercials, so very true. Th- they they share that affinity. <laughs> um, uh, I was worried last week. I mentioned that I was I was very very worried, Rob, that I had I'd really messed up because I went down to San Diego to go to uh, Dia de los Deftones, which is a sort of a one day festival with my favorite band. Um, but I messed up, and my return flight was on. I thought when the race started, but uh, I guess I was I was lucky, and I didn't realize until I was sitting at my gate uh, in San Diego, maybe like two hours before, an hour and a half before the flight was going to take off, and I hear uh, lights out and away we go. I hear Crofty's voice in a, in an, I know, in an American airport, and I look up, and it's not a bar. It's not like, it's not like an entertainment area. One of those just like copy and paste newsstands that they have in every airport. Like the Hudson News. like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, one of those guys, right, just for whatever reason, had the race on and also had it like blaring. <laughs> like, so that's how I, ra- it was ama- I ran into the shop. I like bought a, a bottle of Diet Coke, I think, just so I could like stand there for a couple of minutes while the first couple of laps were, were going on. Uh and then realized, oh, wait, if the Wi-Fi is good here, I can watch it on the app. So I did that. So I sat down and watched it on the app. And uh, the end of the race, the ra- I think uh, the checkered flag was waved maybe a minute before the, the plane took off. So I was, we were taxiing while I was on my 5G watching the end See, of the race. See, that's efficiency. What a world we live in. Yeah, just think about, like, when we started this podcast years ago, there was no way I could watch F1 while you know waiting to to take off in america there's like so many different uh barriers to entry there but but here we are the wonderful world 
of F1 we exist in today. Uh, shall we jump into the race weekend, Rob? Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, uh, the practice was a bit of a, a, a spinneroony time for everyone. Carlos Sainz spun in the uh, FP1. Lando Norris's headrest came off, which was a uh, an interesting new fault we enjoyed. Uh, those were all minor little uh, indiscretions, though. It was Roman Grosjean who really got the party starting, red flagging FP2. Uh, by spinning his car uh, on the S's, I believe it was, and uh, really wrecking the front of his his car. Their home Grand Prix, of course, not so much for the Swiss driver, but for uh, his team, the uh, the Haas team. Uh, then we had Lando Norris, at, I think, attempting to... So we had a, an email last week, Rob, where somebody asked if roller coasters have been ruined for F1 drivers. Uh, which seems like a fair question. You know, you're like getting a lot of G-forces. Are you just kind of bored of it? Uh, when you when you get on that that hot new trip in Ferrari world, uh, so I I tweeted Lando Norris last week the question. Unfortunately, despite my verified powers, he did not reply to me. So I was quite disappointed about no it. blue check solidarity. Uh, no, absolutely not. He completely ghosted me. Uh, he did an Irish goodbye, if you will. Um, but during FP three, uh, there's a quote. He I think they asked him to check his radio, and he started singing the moving up and down, side to side, like a roller coaster. So he was either answering our question with the negatory, no, I actually still love roller coasters. Uh, but instead of using Twitter, he was using the power of the uh, Formula One broadcasting, or it was a complete coincidence. Um, I, I, I think we should I, take I, it as an answer. I think if it's not him directly answering, it's surely the universe answering so i'll take that one um all in all a, a fun sunny easygoing uh practice i would say for most teams except maybe the ferraris that were having a little bit of trouble um uh, leclerc especially had i think a downgrade applied to his car uh they were also coming off of the uh, well one downgrade and then one maybe <laughs> they had to pull something out of it because uh we'll get into the news later but um i believe it was red bull put through the request for whether or not ferrari's new fuel technology was 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 cool for everyone to use um so uh, they were coming into this weekend obviously with numerous pole positions in a row coming out of qualifying uh, but they had to pull that piece of technology out or at least they decided to we'll, we'll get into it later um q1 uh lando norris i think finished in pole in q1 which was fun uh we lost giovanazzi and raikkonen uh russell perez and kubica perez would actually start from the pit lane uh, come race day. Uh, Kvyat, Hulkenberg, Magnussen, Stroll, and Grosjean were uh, out in Q2 with the Ferraris uh, picking up first and second there. Uh, but it was not to be in Q3 as uh, we had some sort of interesting track evolution going on, let's say, where most of the fastest laps were, were done on the first stint. Botas being 12 thousandths of a second ahead of Sebastian Vettel. Um, and then nobody really managing to set... Uh, better times on the second stint there was a couple of purple sectors here and there Albon went wide um uh, I think it was in that where's that corner they all go wide on was it nine I think um uh, when they're coming up to the straight um uh, so he had a he had a tr- he had a he had a lap deleted uh, so Botas ended up picking up first Hamilton actually pulled out of his last uh lap and came in he ended up in fifth um yeah so it was a it was a sort of an interesting a bit of a, a bit of a damp end to qualifying kind of uh 
uh, for whatever reason, the, 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 either the tires fell off or, or what was more likely the track temperatures kind of just started playing havoc with them. Uh, what did you think of that, Rob? Were you watching that? Yeah, it was. It seems like it's something we've seen a bit more here uh, at the tail end of the season. Maybe it is the changing seasons. Uh, something right. about the way tracks are evolving in uh, on slightly cooler race weekends uh, might also just be a byproduct of some of the development direction some of the cars have taken. Uh, but it does feel like earlier in the season, what you were saying was pretty consistent improvement through to the end of Q3 mm. and a final shootout. Uh, it feels, and this is probably recency bias as well, but it certainly feels like in the last like two or three races, we have had it decided with that first run and then the second run is the discovery that the track has lost pace. Right, yeah. Um, that's how it ended with Valtteri Bottas on top by the uh, shortest margin in the history of Cota, which, granted, is not the longest history, but there you go. Uh, Sebastian Vettel in second. Uh, real mix are up or here. Max Verstappen then in third with Leclerc behind him. Lewis Hamilton only managing to get fifth. He only needs four points to secure the championship. The only way I think this can go any further is if Hamilton uh, doesn't score any points and Valtteri Bottas wins, I believe, or maybe second. Yeah, no, the, no, the, I think the scenario was he had to win and Hamilton had to finish. Uh, he had to finish, what, let's see. <laughs> the fastest lap has really screwed this whole thing up. Yeah, no, actually, so if, <laughs> if Hamilton finished ninth, and got fastest lap. It didn't matter if uh, Valtteri won. <laughs> uh, if he finished eighth, he would still win the championship if uh, Botas won. Uh, but if Botas won and Hamilton achieved neither of those things, then uh, the championship duel would go on, such as it is. It's funny. The fastest lap has added certainly uh, an element of, of intrigue into a lot of these races, especially the first half of the season. But it's it's been funny watching how like they don't even bother putting the graphics up anymore because there's so many per- permutations. <laughs> like it would just be so hard to read. Um, I, I I imagine if you can imagine. Do you remember that season? Was it like maybe seven or eight years ago? Going into Abu Dhabi, where five of them could have won. Could you imagine that in real time? Trying to figure that out with the fastest lap, it would have been a complete nightmare. <laughs> so it I, could I, have been I, really fun. It could have been really fun, yeah, yeah. Somebody, yeah, exactly. Somebody not realizing they'd won or slowing down or whatever. Anyway, there's enough uh, fun things to talk about this weekend when we're getting into fictional <laughs> Grand Prix. Uh, so Hamilton in fifth, like I said, Alexander Albon uh, doing a great job, even with that deleted lap ending in sixth. Carlos Sainz seventh, Lando Norris eighth. Wonderful stuff from McLaren there, uh, wanting to scoop up as many points uh, by the end of the season as possible. Same for Ricardo, of course. They're in that battle. Um, uh, Ricardo ended up in ninth. Then we had Pierre Gasly rounding out the top 10. In 11th, we had Hulkenberg uh, in what may well be his last uh, F1 Grand Prix in North America. Kevin Magnussen in 12th. Danny Kvyat in 13th. Lance Stroll, 14th. Roman Grosjean, uh, 15th. 16th for Antonio Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen. Not a great weekend for the Alphas. Uh, Gio won't really mind, though. We'll get into that later. Uh, George Russell in 18th. Sergio Perez, 19th. Uh, Kubica, 20th. But like I said, Perez ended up starting from the pits. Do you know exactly what he changed? Missed Weybridge. I miss. Oh, he missed the Weybridge? Yep. Oh, no. Wait, was that at the end of Quali or was it earlier in the weekend? Uh, I think it was earlier in the weekend. But okay. yeah, he missed it. His engineer spotted it immediately and uh, told him don't pull into the garage and then Keep going. pulled straight into the garage <laughs> oh really uh, yeah it's one of those things where if you i think if you box and then are 
rolled back to the way bridge, you're good. If you pull into the garage, you're penalized. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it just, uh, he was not prepared for that scenario and right. kind of melted down. Well, I wonder if that then played a factor uh, in his in his qualifying at that stage. Of course, he was out-qualified uh, in the end by uh, Lance Stroll by five places, but I'm not even sure if that's a particularly good spot for the other racing point. Um, okay, let's get into the start of the race. This is when Drew usually throws it to me, so maybe I'll just throw it to myself. Before we start, actually, you said you watched the pre-show. I didn't. As you know, I was probably going through airport security during that time. Any fun times happening on the grid? Uh, not really. I was I was pretty out of it uh, and sort of bounced between that and the bear game. Uh, so I wasn't, I, I wasn't watching it too closely. There was an interminable driving around Los Angeles with Lewis Hamilton uh, segment. Oh, and I think right. they did a similar segment with uh, Daniel Ricciardo. So was was Lewis just in traffic the whole time? Yeah, basically. Yeah, like just like trying- <laughs> you, you, Yeah, it was it, exactly. It was, very, it was very much like you're watching it. and It's like, yeah, I, I know that. I I know where they are. Uh, Do you remember? I think it was Ricciardo did like they did. I think they raced across the Bay Bridge up here, in the in the Bay Area. I think. When he was back at Red Bull, that's Ricardo a Red Bull did. thing to do. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun. I remember that. I think that was that was maybe maybe that was a Red Bull video and not on the official feed. But yeah, they'd like to ham it up over here. It's a big like marketing kind of push. It's one of the last ones of the year well, as well. As we, yeah, and I think it's always one of those things where F one is always trying to figure out why it's not cooler in America, <laughs> and so they're always trying to, you know whip up some interest with right. some let's do let's do some cool F1 in America things like yeah drive around LA I guess nothing <laughs> nothing more american than being stuck uh, on Wilshire Boulevard <laughs> for like 90 minutes to go 2 miles um, or you'll get something like as we saw on drive to survive let's take Nico Hulkenberg to a window store and have oh, him gosh. meet children that was awful. What was what happened with the uh, the Haas? The, I think was a Magnussen and Grosjean did a NASCAR. They went in the Haas, the NASCAR, different Haas, right. <laughs> same name, different Haas. Not, I think as well. They drove around. Cir- did they drive around Cota in those cars? I think. That I like I said, remember. I was yeah, I was I was you know the only one of three those sheets to the wind in Petco Park for most of the weekend. So yeah, the only one of those that I've seen that was actually kind of cool was. Um, Tony Stewart and Lewis Hamilton swapping cars at Watkins Glen. Oh, that's cool. Um, and it, they they ended up there in really bad weather, so they ended up like trading fast laps with Lewis in a NASCAR and Tony Stewart in an F one car. Right uh, on like a really dreary like spa like day. Uh, <laughs> is and, is Watkins Glen New York? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and it is very spot-like. It's, you know, sort of a evergreen forest, uh, stretch, like, and the track is across two hills. Uh, it, oh, it's, it's one right. of my favorites. Awesome. Um, yeah, there's only so much, uh, I it feel like it's been damage control for Sasha Barco and Talladega Knights for the past decade. Um, America or F1 tried to fix its uh, reputation over here, its image problem. Um, okay, let's uh, let's dive into the race. Uh, as we said, 
as they're getting off, we are looking at Votas, Vettel, Verstappen, Leclerc, Hamilton. Real mixer-upper there. Um, and as they get the lights out and ride up the hill, uh, immediately we're seeing sort of the fight between uh, Vettel and Verstappen. Botas has a good start. The only one who has a really poor start actually is Leclerc, gets in a little bit of trouble on turn one. But by the time they get up there, Verstappen's already made a pass Sebastian Vettel. Uh, Leclerc, like I said, sort of drifting across. He ends up getting stuck between, or rather, uh, Alexander Albon ends up getting stuck between Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Uh, didn't see it initially, but uh, Alban actually got a little bit airborne, lucky to hold on to his wheels. Um, no further action was uh, later deemed on that one. Uh, Hamilton ended up getting past Vettel uh, through the e- just after the S's, I think it was. Um, Vettel really struggling already, and then as they're getting down into the straight, so turn 11, Leclerc gets past Vettel as well. Um, by the end of that lap, Norris and Ricardo have also managed to pass the German nightmare first lap for Sebastian, Rob. Yeah, he was complaining from the first something was off with that car, right? Like from the, let me let me see here, uh, by lap two, he was on the radio saying he was dealing with bad understeer. And he said, I don't know what could have happened. I haven't hit anyone. Yeah, And so I think from the first, like, the entire race seemed to be cursed for Ferrari, but Vettel in particular. And so I think based on, you know, what happens over the course of this race, was it a rough start or was there something compromising that Ferrari from the jump that yeah. was just going to become fatal? I've I've done some research after the fact to see if any answers have been sort of surfacing over that. And there doesn't seem to be any quite yet. Uh, Martin Rundle at the time was sort of, hypothesizing that perhaps he just hadn't gotten heat into the tires um but after the race Vettel was talking about how he was particularly having problem with right uh, right hand turns um so the issue being like was there a problem mechanically on the car um let's say a weird we'll handling asymmetry <laughs> would make a lot of like a lot of things would make sense if there was something undermining that suspension from the start uh, but yeah, no, the tire strategy argument was interesting. I think they were both on mediums. Yes. And they were surrounded by sauce, correct? Um, I don't know exactly who at the front had them. The 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 sort of tail of the weekend was that the softs were decent for the quali, but they just weren't ready to cut mm. it during the race at all. Um, as Drew talked about last week, a lot of people brought a lot of hard and mediums. Um, uh, more hards than usual this weekend, and it certainly ended up being uh, one of the more popular tires. Yeah, no, everyone is on C threes around them. Uh, yeah, pretty much oh, everyone is on C threes. So, uh, yeah, so that doesn't appear to have been been it. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a strange thing for the Ferraris. Uh, they didn't have the pickup we've seen from them, um, and also I think I was maybe expecting. Botas to struggle a little bit more with the starts because we've seen that mm-hmm. earlier this year. He has had a lot of good polls this year. He's not converted a lot of those into race leads. And the last couple races, we've seen him make pretty clean getaways and drive pretty clean races. So I think that's the other thing is there's less opportunity at the front mm. than, than there has been uh, when, when you've had a non-Hamilton uh, racer st- starting from the lead. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bottas yeah. had a really good start when uh, Sebastian uh, did a false start as well. <laughs> did you see that? Subsequently, he said oh, his yeah. start was so good because he reacted to Seb. Yeah, I love that. I love that he said that as well. Like, that's, that's you know, 
I think that's I like how uh, humble he is. Uh, as we're getting into these laps, there's a, there's a couple of different stories sort of uh, occurring here. There's a great little battle between Norris and Ricardo. Um, this being Norris's last race as a teenager, would you believe? Um, Vettel struggling this whole time. Like Rob said, he's on the radio asking um, if he has any damage. Uh, Leclerc also having a little bit of a struggle, and Ferrari get on the radio around lap seven, um, bringing up Plan B. Presumably, that's them going to a two-stop um again i don't know if it's an end of the year thing but we the two-stop seems to have been uh i don't know a strategy to sort of come to the fore in a way that certainly wasn't anywhere near uh people's minds at the start of the season um making for a lot of exciting racing uh and a lot of like end of race battles i guess um but then I guess the moment of the the early stage of this race happens where we see Sebastian Vettel coming around turn 9 or 10 with one of his I mean his car just completely you know leaning over one of his wheels uh, the suspension is broken on it um, it looks like turn 8 was when it snapped was the moment when it happened there's a couple of different turns here 9 is the one they replaced the sausage curb on the inside the track itself has gone I mean, they have complained a little bit about the um, off, you know, the 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 rumbles on the on the apexes of some of these turns, uh, on the outsides of some of them. Generally, it's quite a rumbly track as it's quite new and the earth has shifted a little bit. It's actually getting uh, reco- uh, resurfaced. Right, there are a lot of people complaining for next about year. how bumpy the track is. Of yes, late. yeah. Some of the onboards were uh, you can see, especially on the inside, you know, off the racing line on that straight, even. Um, it's incredibly bumpy, um, but uh, yeah, like we said, not to not to go back on it, but uh, Vettel, not really knowing what was wrong, but pretty sure it hadn't anything to do with the curbs. Uh, in an interview afterwards, he said, "I had no grip on the first lap. Uh, I had to let a lot of people go by. I couldn't really resist. I really struggled to get the tires to work. Struggled in right-hand corners. Then the suspension failed. So obviously, we've done a lot of running the whole weekend, long runs included, and no issues. So I don't know exactly what happened, but obviously something broke. So a lot of the thought there being perhaps an element." on the suspension was sort of like broke and then maybe something he did on turn eight was the straw that broke the suspensions back as it were i mean that would seem to make a degree of sense like the fact the handling went bad so quickly in the race compared to what it had been in quali and he's mystified from lap two as to what is going wrong and then you have a similarly mysterious suspension breakdown Hmm. uh all parts are manufactured to within a certain spec and tolerance and quality, and they all pass quality checks, but those all have error bars around them. Right. Like, it doesn't, like, as good as your checks are, there is still the outside chance that you could have a lemon uh, of, of a part somewhere in there. And I'm curious if that happened here, because the weird handling gremlins he was having, and then the fact that the car basically got twisted on its axis and was driving on three wheels with one of them up in the air, uh, sure looks to me like something failed unexpectedly. I would bet my bottom dollar was the curbs. Seeing it live, it sure looked causal, right? He goes over that curb, and the car just sort of, like, you know, snaps like a turkey's wishbone in some ways. Uh, but you know, if 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 Ferrari's saying that wasn't it, uh, then you got you got to start looking at what happened in your pipeline. 
It's funny how in the 21st century version, you know, the reality of F1, we're so used to getting the answers, if not during the race, then afterwards. You know, this part perhaps smaller than a camera is going to pick up, um, but close enough to the the source of steering that it's going to have a massive impact, even if it's just a little issue. Um, so maybe we'll never know in this respect. But uh, yeah, one thing is for sure, it led to an end uh, to Sebastian's race. It could have actually benefited Charles Leclerc if Seb wasn't so conscious of the rest of the field and decided to pull over somewhere they could push him out. A virtual <clears throat> safety car might have given uh, Charles a little bit of a chance to uh, gobble up uh, some time or perhaps get in a, an easy pit stop. The window wasn't really opening until, yeah. like, say, lap 14, 15, but... Um, I'll yeah, say this knows? too. I appreciate that Coda is a proper racing circuit where you can have an incident and a car rolls off and it's not immediately full stop, no more racing. Um, right. So, like, having had so many races hinge on safety cars this season and virtual safety cars and the exact timing of them, it was kind of nice that we had a couple incidents in this race where people were able to move into a safe area for car recovery and all we got was a locally waved yellow. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I think it has a forty percent chance of safety car, and then something like seventy for VSC. Um, but as you will see, as we keep talking about this race, uh, perhaps not the uh, the race we we were, we we got this weekend. Um, Ricardo eventually gets past Norris on the straight here. Uh, the, the great little battle between this entire mid pack. Um, uh, as everyone sort of bunches together, especially in this mixed pit strategy. Uh, lap 10, we see Danny Kvyat getting past K-Mag for 11th, a beautiful little fight between the two of them there. It's uh, 100th Grand Prix for Kevin Magnussen. Um, Perez then, who started in the pits, uh, this is lap 11, he's actually in 15th at this stage, uh, gobbling up the pack, doing a good job, gets past uh, Antonio Giovinazzi into 14th. Perez kind of makes a bit of trouble for himself throughout this entire or making trouble for everyone else throughout this entire race uh, while he's sort of uh, racing for position and, and racing out of position in between uh, pit strategies uh, the pit window is kind of open at this stage when Verstappen decides to come in going on to hards at this stage nobody really knows how long you're going to be able to go on those uh, we've seen a lot of drivers doing a good job of you know having long stretches on the hards this is a 56 lap race i want to say so would be quite far they're long laps uh, too that you're right they are long yeah this is not like last week that they're, they're this is a decent sized track so the question sort of being pushed to mercedes perhaps maybe it's something to cover off maybe it isn't i guess mercedes had nothing to lose and everything every, nothing to gain everything to lose or nothing to the other way around i think well, Ted yeah, it's, said. yeah it's one of those interesting things where having the two cars uh you know near the front you've got options there for for answering that i was sort of surprised mm. they had botas answer that so quickly yeah uh and for a long time i would have bet you that hamilton's strategy was optimal uh especially given how good we've seen Hamilton be on tires, and we'll talk about when we we see that here too. But it seemed like a long stretch, especially for Botas, who has not been he hasn't been terrible on tires, but tire management has not been a strong suit for his racing this year. And having him answer uh, Verst- Verstappen from the first, and then 
let Lewis continue racing and and sort of have them choose his moment later for a stop. Uh, to me, that seemed to bode really poorly uh, for Valtteri. It seemed like it would be asking a lot of him to either extend those things out to the end or to keep enough pace on them that a uh, second stop wouldn't be terminal. Right. Uh, Hamilton and Verstappen, of course, both in recent uh, races showing off their prowess for stretching tires too. Uh, the pit uh, in and of itself actually really helped them out. Red Bulls are pretty fast, but actually in this case, Botas managed to get get out four tenths faster uh, then Verstappen is that might help him later on uh, lap 17 it looks like Hamilton is maybe sticking to a one stop he's still out there um, we'll have to see as the race continues uh, lap 19 signs pits uh, Hamilton says he's pretty happy with the tires at this stage um, the order of operations of course uh, order race order at this stage is Hamilton in first Botas second uh, Verstappen in third and Leclerc in fourth Hamilton really racing with Verstappen at this stage uh, once the uh once he takes his pit. Um, sorry, go on. Oh, sorry. No, and, and just uh, the, the other thing I note there is, again, now Botas is on fresh tires, but also they were the hard tires. And, uh, you know, immediately after coming out of the pits behind Leclerc, he gobbled Leclerc up really fast. Mm. Uh, once again, proving that whatever the Ferrari form we've seen the past few weeks is like that, that pass would have been impossible for we. I think we yeah. saw Valtteri try to make that pass uh, two or three races ago <laughs> yeah. and it just, it, it wasn't in the cards. And uh, this week it was, it was pretty easily done and even allowing for the difference in tire strategy and circumstances, it seems like uh, things have changed pretty radically again with regard to power. Yeah, for uh, Ferrari, d- d- not really threatening the Mercedes at this stage. Um, the Mercedes threatening each other, it would seem, as Botas is on the hunt now to Hamilton, who, of course, is getting a little bit wary, probably, or rather his tires are. Uh, lap 20, Norris and Gasly pit in response to signs. Uh, Hamilton is now about 2.4 seconds ahead of Botas. Uh, all eyes on whether or not he will pit uh, and let Valtteri go past him that way or whether or not he'll make Botas do the hard work to try and reclaim first. Um, Kvyat has a bad pit. I think it's the rear left. We had a couple of these this race. Um, ended up holding him up for maybe four extra seconds, which he didn't exactly need. Uh, Ricardo got past Perez into sixth. Perez hasn't pitted yet. Uh, Ricardo uh, fighting for position there, uh, doing a great job. Uh, then lap 23, we get... Vano on the radio. He's back um, uh, after missing the Mexican Grand Prix. He uh, asks Lewis to box, and Lewis, in typical Lewis fashion, decides not to, Rob. Tires are still good. Yeah, he feels it. Yeah, and I think he he was probably doing the math as much as anyone. Uh, Every lap he stays out increases the odds of him being able to have a successful one-stop race. Um, and at that point, like again, are you betting against Botas being able to make those tires last till the end? Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I think Hamilton was absolutely gunning hard uh, for Botas, but he was also thinking that the cool thing about being Lewis Hamilton is you can stretch strategies really mm. far, right? Like you can you can find optimal strategies that are just not available to other drivers. We've seen him do that. I think he's trying for it here. Uh, and I think that's one reason why he was basically... He basically decided, I'm going to drive the wheels off this thing and make Botas do it the hard way around. Right. 
Um, then we have, I guess, Perez maybe stretching a little bit too far. He gets gobbled up by Norris. Uh, Norris goes into uh, seventh. Perez now at eighth. Um, and then Botas gets the uh, wonderful team radio message of you can attack him now, which seems a little bit aggressive for a teammate, but uh, fair enough. Uh, makes light word of it, passes uh, Hamilton on the straight. Hamilton doesn't put up much of a fight for it. Um, and then Hamilton immediately uh, coming into the pits as they round the penultimate turn. The question at this stage being, can Botas keep going or are we going to see another reshuffle when it comes to pits later in the race? At this stage, like I said, we are lap, let's say, 25-26. The order is Botas at top, Verstappen behind him, Hamilton then, Leclerc, Ricardo, Norris, Hulkenberg, Sainz, Gasly, Raikkonen. Um, but there's a bunch more little pits uh to get done at that stage so Hamilton's out he's done 24 laps on his medium Bono telling him to calm down a bit because he's pushing the tires maybe a bit too hard to make this one stop uh, successful Perez gets past Kvyat into 12th he's on the push again uh, lap 32 we see Albon past signs into 7th loads of like the, the amount of overtaking that was happening in that mid pack was absolutely wonderful um this was a fun race i feel like this sort of summed up this year quite a lot where there was a lot of talk about strategy whether or not people had made the right decisions when it came to tire wear uh, and then just a fantastic little fight between uh those two or three teams in the middle of the pack uh, lap 35, we have uh, Verstappen's tires. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, not Verstappen. Verstappen's not there. Oh, no, sorry. Verstappen, yes, tires dropping up. The Vettel Verstappen, V-E-R, V-E-S, V-E-T yep. thing is once again uh, caught up on me. Um, his tires are dropping off. He comes into the pits, goes on to mediums. Um, Albon is past Norris into sixth. Uh, and then we see kind of the the moment where we're like, okay, this is this is what we're looking at for the rest of the race. Lap 35, like I said, Bautas comes in and pits. He comes out behind Hamilton, but in front of Verstappen. But we are basically done with pits at this stage for the front runners. Hamilton's on hards. Bautas and Verstappen are on mediums. And then there's a little bit of a kind of a, a look at Leclerc, who's also there. He's not really in the mix, but he's on hards. And depending on what happens with those mediums at the end of the race, we could see them either catching up and gobbling Hamilton. Uh, or losing out and uh, having Leclerc catch up, or a mixture of the two. Because the other thing that's happening here is that this entire group for the last 20 has got a decent chunk of back markers to make its way through before we hit that checkered flag. Um, where, where were you in the, at this stage, Rob? Who did you think was in the ascendancy and, and who, was, who was at risk of getting gobbled? I thought it was Hamilton. I thought Hamilton had this. Uh, and, and I like, again... For one, I think I have a predisposition to overrate the possibilities of the hard tires. Uh, <laughs> and part of that is because I think there's a lot of times early in the season when maybe the tires wear rates are less well understood mm. and they're a little more conservative with strategies. And then you see on the track drivers extending way beyond the projected stints. Uh, this time of year, it seems like for whatever reason, those stints are maybe a little more predictive in terms right. of what the tire strategy is going to be. Uh, and so the the thing is, it looks like for this race, maybe for nobody was a 
one-stop race really in the cards and they're all just trying to figure out what is the most efficient way to sort of build a bridge to the checkered flag uh but i really thought that hamilton by stretching that first stint out so far and knowing how good he is on tires i really thought that you know with botas having made having to make that second stop coming out eight seconds behind hamilton did I think Hamilton could nurse an eight-second lead for half the race? Yeah, I did. Um, right. I, I thought. It, I thought, and and also we've seen in of late, Valtteri can catch people, but a lot of times in moving into DRS attack range, he destroys his tires and very right. quickly loses the. He destroys his tires and brakes and very quickly loses the ability to make the overtake. Uh, in ways that, like, Hamilton, for instance, does not. Like, we've seen Hamilton slowly position himself for those for those attacks, and they usually succeed. Botas moves into attacking range, and he's exhausted himself to get there. So I thought this was, I thought hmm. this was Hamilton's race to lose, and it wasn't until, uh, not to skip ahead, I don't know if there's if there's anything between now and lap 42 uh, that you wanted to hit. Nah, Hulkenberg uh, got us Danny into 12th, that was it. Yeah. Uh, lap 42, Hamilton gets on the radio, and is starting to get really panicky about his tire strategy, and he asks, has anyone else made them last this long? Yeah. And it is so tough to tell with Lewis because Lewis sounding nervous or unsettled about a strategy is not, again, has no predictive power for what is happening in Lewis's race. Like, that guy will totally. be convinced he's blowing it right up, <laughs> like, right up until the minute he's, he's, he's got the race in the bag. And shocked his one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I, like, I didn't know how to interpret that. But again, lap 42, uh, having just pit on lap 25 for these hards, and already he's trying to ask, like, hey, uh, have we seen anybody do good lap times on the hards for, like, 30 laps? No? Uh, and that's when I started to think this might not be Hamilton's race. Right. Uh, lap 44, Perez up into ninth. Uh, like I said, started from the pits, doing a wonderful job there, just trying to retain position at this stage now. Lastly, the end of the race and see if he can grab some points. Uh, Hulkenberg, who had gotten past Kvyat four laps earlier, is now past Kimi Raikkonen uh, in the arena, makes himself up into 11th. Renault, of course, trying to grab as many points as they can to solidify fifth place. Ricardo at this stage, I think, is running. If he's not in sixth, he's close to it at this stage. Um, he did go off the track, Hulkenberg, here during that little fight with Kimi, but I don't think anything came of it. Um, I think he retained i don't think there was any uh i was in the air by the time that happened um so if there was let me know uh botas now we're into lap 48 so we have eight laps left um his engineer comes over the radio and tells him that hamilton is two he's two seconds behind hamilton botas said no talking now um which is his kind way of saying shut up um uh, and at the same time max verstappen is being told to push uh, that he can maybe uh, gobble them up at this stage um, lap 51 Botas eyeing up Hamilton like Rob was saying he's kind of taken a little bit of time to get to this point he's got five laps left will he be able to make it stick Botas goes interestingly around the outside of Hamilton Hamilton defends the inside um, and Hamilton basically breaks safely let's say but then pushes Botas off the exit of turn 12 doesn't give him any space. Uh, Valtteri doesn't really try and fight it. He sort of swings around, lives to fight another day. 
and they're about to enter a bunch more traffic. What did you make of this? I feel like in in another race, this would have this could have been a disaster. We've th- there have been many world championships decided by the crashing of first and second place. Um, in another world, maybe this was one of them. Yeah, I. Uh, to me, it looked fine. Like that's the thing. Like mm. we've seen Hamilton. Like you can go back to Abu Dhabi in twenty. 16 for him it is most petty uh against rosberg and we, right. we've seen him be absolutely uh ruthless with a teammate uh in in term that he didn't want to cede anything to this didn't feel as take no prisoners as we saw that relationship get uh nevertheless like these guys are gonna fight and hamilton doesn't ever take a race off and the other thing to remember here is his car is also so much looser than than mm. Valtteri's at this point. Like the other thing about Hamilton is that car is less under control than it looks, and uh, mm. the entire reason that like Valtteri got into that range even is because Hamilton is already starting to make small slip ups, mm. uh, and and they weren't really slip ups, right? It's just. He's breaking traction now. He's not expecting it to be broken because the tires are done, and yeah. so I like to to me it just it, it's a dangerous moment because you know they're they're absolutely giving each other no quarter, but I wouldn't say it ever crosses a line into being disrespectful, hmm. uh, t- a disrespectful type of racing. I think the, the where where this really does interest me is just again the future of that relationship, what the team dynamic is going to be. Uh, because I think in the past, in the earlier this season, we saw Valtteri uh, be psychologically beaten a lot by Hamilton. Last couple of races, I wonder, uh, you know, mm-hmm. is it just the pressure's off and we're seeing a, a, a sharper, more composed uh, Botas out there? Or has he also figured some things out uh, since the start of the season? I don't know, but I think him not getting completely... Because he had to go off, right? He had to cut a corner. And him not completely losing track of Hamilton and all that and resuming the chase Mm. um, was pretty impressive. It's interesting in the microcosm of this race, Valtteri probably has more to lose than Lewis does. You know what I mean? Like the championship is going to come to Lewis in, you know, probably... If I mean, if both of them went out in that case, the, the chances of not getting it are so slim. Uh, Valtteri, of course, chasing his seventh F1 win, um, you know, would would obviously never won in Coda before, uh, has a lot to lose too. Uh, so, like I said, they, they both rejoin. There's a bunch of traffic in front of them. They make their way through. But by the time this is all shaken out and they cross the line into lap 52, Max Verstappen's gobbled up a lot of pace. He's now only four seconds behind the two of them. Uh, lap 52, we basically have a repeat of the previous lap where Valtteri has gobbled up uh, enough uh, distance on Hamilton to make a go of it on that back straight. This time he goes down the very, very bumpy inside line, uh, does well, gets uh, gets gets to the corner and breaks properly and uh, makes it look easy in the end. Valtteri Bottas in first place. 
uh, as they enter the final couple of laps of this race. Uh, then we had a little bit of more uh, battling in the, the back of the pack. The, the, the fight for those last couple of championship points is really coming to a head. Uh, Gasly gets past Perez. Then Perez manages to get that p- uh, position back on Gasly. Uh, this is in the arena for ninth position. Uh, by lap 54, we've uh, two laps and change remaining. Verstappen is now 2.9 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton, uh, asking, "Do we have full power? I want full power." It was like a line out of a, you know, like the opening line of this week's podcast from Days of Thunder. Um, but uh, as it happens, we suddenly see a yellow pop up uh, on the the on-screen graphics, and it cuts to a a rather beached Kevin Magnuson sitting in a in a spot that I was like, where is that? I'm, I'm not used to seeing people go up there. Um, it's at the end of the straightaway on the entrance to turn 12 where Botas and Hamilton had had that fracas a couple of laps earlier. I guess he just didn't outbroke himself, managed to get out on that a uh, little bit of slick um, uh, runoff, uh, beached himself on the gravel just outside of it and uh, couldn't get himself out of it, unfortunately. A uh, bit of an unforced error for K-Mag. Not a wonderful weekend for the Hosses. I mean, I feel like they haven't Weird, had, they've a, had so many. I know. it's uh, yeah. They have. I can't remember the last time Gunter Steiner had a good weekend. Uh, but yeah, massive shame, but really a massive shame for Verstappen because the next two times he's coming down the straightaway, which is basically the one effective spot he's going to have of getting past a Mercedes, uh, there are wave double yellows and if Max Verstappen has learned anything in recent r- races it's that when you see waved double yellows <laughs> you lift off a little bit or else this uh, the uh, FIA are going to have a word with you so it ended the way it ended the only last bit of uh, battling that went on was between where were they Danny Kvyat and Sergio Perez. I totally missed this until I read about the penalty. What what happened here? So in the arena, so do you know the final corner of that arena section, the left-hander, the really tight one? Uh, he basically cut up the inside of Perez and forced him. He kind of cut him off a little bit, and uh, Perez turned into uh, uh, Kvyat and got a little bit, I want to say, of... I think it was his, the left of his end plate on his front wing got got tapped, um, but you're I, you know we're talking they were like three or four corners from the end of the race, um, so well fought. When I saw it the first time, I didn't think much of it um, from his onboard. In subsequent viewings, I can kind of see. I, I've I've stopped guessing this year when it comes to the FIA and this stuff. I just I don't know where they're at. I like I I can't tell where the. Um, I don't know what the, where the line is, really. Uh, Kvyat, not very happy about it, actually. There was an interview after the race with, I want to say, Dutch F1 television, where he said it was effing BS. <laughs> Sorry, I can never tell if kids listen to this or not, but uh, in his in his thickest Russian accent. Um, so he uh, he wasn't very happy about it. He did get a, a, a was it a five second, I want to say? penalty first it was enough to change position he was dropped out yeah it was right he was yeah he ended up in 12th unfortunately uh not unfortunate for the top two who both won in their own unique way Valtteri Bottas crossing the line his seventh ever f1 victory uh, ahead of his teammate Lewis Hamilton 44 winning his sixth drivers championship one away from Schumi's all-time record uh, in third, Max Verstappen, who never quite managed to 
get up to speed on them. Charlotte Claire, who was a delicious 52 seconds behind the rest of them, that magical safety car never appeared that would have brought him up to contention. Uh, Alexander Albon, doing a good race, managing to end up fifth after all that. Danny Ricardo in sixth, grabbing a bunch of points for Renault. I'm sure they appreciated that. Uh, Re- uh, then McLaren, uh, just a wonderful season for the two of those drivers. Landon Norris in seventh, Carlos Sainz in eighth, Nico Hulkenberg uh, in ninth, grabbing some extra points for Renault in what now looks like his final F1 race in North America. Um, Sergio Perez started from the pits and grabbed some points. Good job, Checo. Uh, then we had Kimi Raikkonen in eleventh, decent start considering how bad quality was. Danny Kvyat giving him up that place. He sits in twelfth. Lance Stroll in thirteenth. Antonio Giovinazzi fourteenth position. Not a great spot, but he was handed his race seat later on that day, so he's happy. Roman Grosjean in 15th. Let's not talk about it. Pierre Gasly in 16th. Uh, George Russell in 17th. Maybe some other cars crashed out. Uh, Kevin Magnussen in 18th because he slipped up in the last race. Uh, last lap, Robert Kubica did retire somewhere around, I think it was lap 25. Um, unfortunately, it's so unnewsworthy that I didn't even bring it up. And uh, he uh, is a... Yeah, it was lap 33. He was in the garage. 33? Yeah. Cool. I, um, I will always watch for Robert Kubica. <laughs> of course, sorry. And uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, only managing to finish seven laps before he DNF'd himself. Um, before we get to the... Uh, the points, Rob. What was your what was your feeling of the race? How did what what was your what was your mouth feel after uh, that exciting action? Uh, it was pretty good. I, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. This was a very. This felt like a bit of a senioritis uh, <laughs> Grand Prix. Like Lewis fought and he wanted to win, uh, but also he drove away a guy who knew he just needed a points finish basically to 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 wrap it. Uh, Valtteri remains. A work in progress, I would say. When he's, hmm. you know, this race in the last, he's both seemed a bit frustrated at the lost opportunity the season may represent for him. Um, that being said, I do think that it, it's so funny to me to think about how a month or so ago, as we came back from the break, there was this entire debate as to whether or not Valtteri Botas should be for Mercedes number two driver. And I think somebody at the time, uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter and it's like, it's kind of ridiculous if you think about it, right? Like what more do you ask? Like what really more do you ask for, for a number two? You know, if you, if you count up the number of polls, they were comparable to Hamilton's uh, for much Mm -hmm. of the season. Uh, He wasn't, was he as good as Hamilton? No, but that's why you're a number two driver. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think he's the perfect number two driver. There is a there is a net negative effect of having two number one drivers on your on your team. Alonso which, and Hamilton together did not work. Yeah, uh, yeah. Alonso and fill in anyone else here. Well, yeah, Alonso. that's 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 very true as well. Uh, but yeah, so so I did come away from this feeling like it's kind of absurd. There were these very high expectations for Botas because largely he's met them. He's he's finished uh, with the with the exception. He, he is finished. You're right. Yeah. With, with some with some <laughs> poor midseason form, uh, you know. Aside, generally he's been comparable to Hamilton. He's outperformed him in a meaningful number of races this season. Uh, I, I think it he sort of laid to rest any question as to whether or not he 
you know, should be a Mercedes driver. The place where this gets interesting is he clearly wants to be more than that, right? He wants to be Hamilton's rival. He wants to be having his own viable shot at an F1 championship. And we saw him crumble under that pressure at the start of the season. And then here's the pressures lifted off. He's starting to turn in career best performances again. What will happen next year, right? Like what, like if he manages to get himself into a position where he is neck and neck with Lewis Hamilton for a driver's championship lead, which Valtteri Bottas do we get? Hmm. Do we get out of that? Yeah, because you remember, cast your mind back to the start of the season when he was talking about all of the work he had done psychologically to prepare for this year because it had been so much of an issue for him last year. Um, and like you said, like he just didn't have the rub of the green for those first couple of races, and he struggled a bit. But um, you know, I think I think it's more promising to see a driver finish well. You know, to be able to put up with that and and get through it, then 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 vice versa. So, yeah, um, like you said, he uh, uh, you know I'm sure he'll be buoyed at least by this uh, most recent victory and 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 his uh, his uh, I guess win tally overall. But uh, let's get into the standings, the most important standings of the year as we crown Carlos Sainz Jr. the Formula 1.5 champion at 243 points. Congratulations, Carlos. He uh, miles ahead of his teammate Lando Norris and 179. Sergio Perez, though, Checo, 175 points. He's right behind Lando. So all to play for uh, between the two of them. Um, we'll revisit Formula 1.5, I'm sure, at the end of the season. But uh, yeah, let's get into the uh, the actual standings uh, as they are now. Lewis Hamilton wins the championship, 381 points. Valtteri Bottas is in second with 314 uh I think mathematically, yeah, he can't be caught at all. Um, Charles Leclerc in third with 249. Uh, that all still very much to play with Max Verstappen in fourth, uh, 235. Sebastian Vettel slipping down into fifth position with 230 with his, D- with his uh, I was about to say DNF, with his, uh, um, uh, what do we call it? Non-cla- non-classification, I guess it is, if it's uh, if it's that early, I think. Or do we call, still call it DNF? I think you're muted. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's still. Do we not call it a DNF? Why wouldn't we? DNF? I forget. I don't know. His car broke. A, yeah. Well, he did. He not left finish. on the back. Of, he left on the back of a scooter. That's a DNF. <laughs> uh, Alexander Albon uh, with eighty-four points. He is the. I'm not sure what the inverse of Formula One point five is, but whatever it is, he's. Um, uh, you know, but he's only had a seat a while, so we can't complain that much. Uh, Carlos Sainz in seventh with eighty points. What a year for that young man. Pierre Gasly in eighth. With 77, Danny Ricardo, 46, uh, he's in ninth position. Checo Perez in 10th with 44. Lando Norris, 11th with 41. Nico Hulkenberg, 12th with 37. Danny Kivash, 13th with 34. He'll be very disappointed not to get those extra points to try and close the gap on the Renault. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen in 14th with 31. Lance Stroll in 15th with 21. Kevin Magnussen. Uh, with 16 in 16th with 20 his teammate Roman Grosjean in 17th with 8 Antonio Giovinazzi will be racing for Alpha next year hopefully he'll get more than the 4 points he has accrued this year Bobby Kay holding on to that one as George Russell has zip 
Zara Nara. Uh, and then the Constructing Championships. Mercedes, of course, already been crowned champions with 695 points. Ferrari in second with 479. Red Bull Racing Honda with 330, sorry, 366. McLaren uh, in fourth position, 121. Uh, Renault in fifth with 83. Uh, ended up getting a decent chunk or at least retaining that buffer between them and Racing Point, who are now with 65 in 6th position. Scuderia Toro Rosso in 7th with 64. So they actually did a good job of catching up on Racing Point. Only a point behind them. One Racing Point behind them. In 8th position, Alfa Romero with 35. Haas with 28. And Mercedes Williams holding on to that one blessed point everybody gets one shall we jump into the news rob absolutely uh let's talk about some little bits and bobs first before we get into the the main course of our uh the regulations which is probably going to take us a little bit of time um can you fill us in a little bit or we can we can chew the fat a little bit about this whole ferrari cheating thing were you did you have eyes on this before the race weekend because i didn't know anything about this until afterwards okay so, yeah, it, like, we, we talked about how Ferrari's per- pace seemed to fall off, and apparently uh, Red Bull lodged a complaint with the FIA about uh, <laughs> an aspect of Ferrari's car setup and that they had found a way to increase flu- fuel flow to the engine. Uh Can- my, can I say my favorite? We talked about this last week, with Drew. My favorite part of this is the manner in which this is lodged. It is not that it is a. It is not that they are formally lodging a complaint necessarily, so much as they are saying, "We think another team is doing this. Can we also do this?" <laughs> which I think is the most like tattletale way of <laughs> of uh, telling on somebody else yeah. ever. I love it. Uh, and throughout the race weekend, people were observe. It was it, like. Ferrari was observably slower. Hamilton mm. talked about it uh, after the practice sessions that they were that they appeared slower on the track. Uh, they were slower at the speed traps. But then you had uh, Verstappen asked about Ferrari's pace fall off, fall off, and he says, "That's what happens when you stop cheating, of course." But yeah, they had a good <laughs> look at it, so now we have to keep a close eye on it, of course. Um, and. Leclerc kind of lost his lost his shit, uh, saying it's a complete joke uh, of Verstappen to say that he has no clue. He's not in the team. We know exactly what we're doing. I don't know why he is speaking. He doesn't know anything about us. Uh, the Leclerc Verstappen rivalry has the most delicious whiff of high school comedy, yeah. like <laughs> drama, right? Like this is this is basically Mean Girls. Or yeah. uh, Pitch Perfect, right? And you can tell, like, one of them is kind of like the goody two-shoes and one of them is the bad boy as well. Like, they fall quite neatly into those two little archetypes. Uh, and also what's maybe very interesting about it is just we know that this is going to... We're going to have this for, like, 10 years. Like, the, this <laughs> this rivalry is not going anyway. Uh, regardless of what teams they ended up. Hell, if they, if they ended up on the same team, it would probably be even worse. Um but yeah, this was the, I guess it was the uh, fuel flow meter signal filtering, 
which uh, the fuel flow in F1 cars is monitored by a single FIA sensor and the rules ban any device, system or procedure that is designed to increase the flow rate or to store and recycle fuel uh, after the measurement point or has any effect in doing that. So what some people were querying was basically saying that this was how they were able to get those especially in quality because they qual- they've qualified so well the past I think they locked out the past five races when well, they locked out but they got first in the past five races except for Coda um, uh, it, obviously we can't just say that their weekend was poor just because of this um, clearly there were other factors Leclerc had a had a tough weekend all around and, and then Vettel obviously just had a kind of just one of those races with something that broke um, but yeah it's a uh, don't you love how they're still getting into these little squabbles when there's like, what's left to race for? I guess fifth position. <laughs> well, and I think that's, uh, that's one of the things that drives squabbles like this, right? Like there's nothing that's going to be settled on the racetrack for these guys at this point. Not really. Right. Uh, so instead we get this, which is Max calling Ferrari cheaters. Um, and Leclerc, you know, basically telling, uh, you know, Verstappen, we're trying to anyway, trying to pull the like you know take Ferrari's name out of your mouth uh, type of nonsense. <laughs> um, a couple of other little bits of Bob's news wise, just to follow up on the Miami Grand Prix stuff. Uh, this was actually breaking while me and Drew were recording last week, and he was furiously refreshing some Miami news websites uh, uh, feeds to see if anything came about it. This, of course, being the latest proposed Miami Grand Prix not the one that would happen on the what do you call it the coastline the Miami oh uh, like South Beach yeah around there yeah the beach yeah, uh, Miami beach. not that this yeah. this is the one that would happen around the Dolphin Stadium uh, just to quickly say that it's been pushed back again uh, there's going to be another public hearing in December uh, some local um, uh, I, I guess local politicians or local organizations bringing up a couple of you know just basically trying to roadblock it by saying that there'll be issues with traffic and other things so um, it's going to come up we won't have an answer on that uh, if that's one of the 25 races we'll enjoy in 2021 my lord um, uh, we won't know for at least another month and then the other little bit of news here is Antonio Giovinazzi retaining his uh, seat at Alpha which is good news for him not so good news for our good friend Nico Hulkenberg which that was basically his last option Um, what's your thought on on all that Rob you surprised Gio kept his seat or has he done it off this year not very it's I mean would Hulkenberg probably be an upgrade yeah I'm not sure that that's what alpha are looking for right like geo some like hulkenberg the reason he couldn't get in at haas was he was he was charging too much money mm. and it wouldn't surprise me if giovinazzi for has a better price to performance ratio than nico hulkenberg right. does yeah that's uh that's fair enough uh it looks like hulkenberg will be um i think there was a i saw a news post a couple days ago where he said he was at peace with it um but uh We'll we'll see if uh, I, I you know where he ends up next year. I think uh, DTM is seems to be where he's going to land, um, but who knows? Maybe he'll do a bunch of other things. Um, and I wanted to mention one or two little fun uh, YouTube videos. I'll stick these in the show notes. Uh, there's one great little series. I've been watching a bunch of these for the past year or so, which uh, is done by GQ. Uh, this one of the GQ Sports 
uh, YouTube channel. A bunch of people tweeted at, uh, us at Shift F1 about it. Uh, it's basically Danny Ricardo breaking down a bunch of different racing movies. Uh, it's a it's a lot of fun. Days of Thunder's on there. I watched the classic. bit about Days of Thunder where he's like, yeah. So he just he accelerates through the smoke, which uh, you know ordinarily be quite dangerous, but I guess it's good and he's brave because he's the hero. But you wouldn't do that. It's, it's really good. Like baby drivers in there as well. Um, yeah, he's got he's got a Ricardo turned up to eleven on it. It's a it's a lot of fun. And then, I, have you been watching this series with Michael Fassbender uh, driving for the Porsche? No, Super so Cup wait, stuff, so like, yeah, I just I, I opened the link here. I figured it would be him narrating a documentary or something, yeah. but that is not what this is. No, Fassbender, uh, one of uh, the pr- pride of Ireland, by the way. I know he he sounds like he's got a German accent sometimes, but he grew up in Kerry. Um, he. Uh, he is he's done some stuff in the past i think he drove in ferrari some sort of ferrari car a number of years ago i remember he did an interview with kimmel or someone about it um but no he is currently basically training to do uh uh to be included on 24 hour le mans and he's doing it by uh driving in a bunch of the uh i think it's Porsche super cup uh races um maybe it's like a lower league i'm not not exactly sure but they've put out two or three of these shorts which are really good and he's very like candid and open about like the mistakes they're making it's beautifully shot um they're only like about you know seven eight minutes each i think there might be three of them or two of them uh but i'll put the link in the in the uh the the show notes so you could check them out but it's really good it's it's a good sense of like what it would be like if you were a you know, determined amateur entering this sport and how they're sort of talking to him. And uh, th- there's a great episode, a moment in uh, where he spins on in the second episode and he thinks he did one thing which they told him to do and actually the telemetry suggested otherwise. And the moments where he realizes it's it's really good viewing and it's going to continue for the next uh, uh, couple of uh, months, I guess. So yeah, um, I'll stick that in the show notes. Definitely worth checking out. Quite uh, snackable as well. Um, which would be good. Uh, what's this? Uh, what did Roger Pensk do? Pensky? Yeah, I can so, never pronounce that. Yeah, Roger Pensky just closed a deal to buy Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh. And the IndyCar Racing Series. Oh, so really? So the George family, uh, led by T- Tony George, uh, the, the Holman George family, I forget what the, the whole consortium was called, they are out. Uh, huh. And Pensky is now like Penske now has more control over open wheel racing in the United States than pretty much anyone has in the history of motorsports. But they have a team in Indy, right? That's one of the that's one of the early <laughs> conflicts that people are citing is like how are people <laughs> going to feel about that? But I, I'm curious how that evolves, uh, because Penske is a legend. Um mm, right. And he is probably one of the most admired team owners uh, in the you know in, in American racing, maybe maybe worldwide. Uh, everyone sort of speaks reverently of the captain, and he's in his eighties now. And so I think there's an element of as much as people might be skeptical about the fox uh, watching the hen house, as it were. Right and running the sport where he has been a ruthless competitor uh, for a number of years, I think maybe there's also some hope that 
if anyone has a sense for how the open wheel racing business in the U.S. works, it's Roger Penske. And mm-hmm. it may be at a point where it, it's not that IndyCar is doing badly. It, it, it has been it has been on a bit of a rise in recent years. But I think a lot of folks are probably happy at the notion that the leadership of IndyCar is going to change, that the George family is officially out of the picture, mm. and that one of the mo- most like seasoned and old hands at running a successful motorsports business is now running the business for all of them. Um, and so I, while, I, while I do expect there, there maybe to be some tension around him being the owner of the entire series, particularly from outfits like Ganassi. Right. Uh, I, the, the, the sense I do get from the jump is that this is probably like, if you were going to put this in anyone's hands, it would be Roger Penske. Now, I don't know if that's a good bet because running a team and running a sport are two very different things, but where there's overlap relationships, relationships with sponsors, promotion, uh, relationships with manufacturers and uh, suppliers. He's been very, very good at all of that, and that is the type of shit that IndyCar really needs someone to be good at. Mm. Yeah, interesting stuff. We're, we're going to do a bunch of primers uh, in the off-season as well uh, for patrons, so maybe that'll be something we can we can uh, chew on. Um, let's uh, let's jump into the, the meat and potatoes yeah. of this news. Uh, this news blast. Um, so the new regulations for 2021 were announced. You could consume these in a number of different ways. There were little short videos put up by F1. There was bigger press releases. There was no shortage of places uh, to read from. Um, I'm going to deliver these in the way that I found most effective, which is another video I'm going to link in the show notes. It's basically Autosport did like a 10-minute 10 things you need to know about the new F1 2021 regs. Um, so it kind of breaks everything down into 10 sort of subgroups uh, that we're going to tackle now um, in no particular order. Although, let's get into it. Uh, the cars look rad. What did you think of these new cars that are bringing back the the specter of ground effect? <laughs> or I guess the... Who knew? We needed you all along, Grand Effect. Yeah, I I think it sounds really exciting. Ground Effect itself is kind of cool. And for that being a way to maybe introduce a bit more performance uh, with fewer knock-on complications uh, for following cars is interesting to me. It also sounds like they've done a... Uh, it sounds like they found some clever ways around what undid ground effect before right should be just maybe for people who don't know for folks who are new to the podcast by the way our preseason primary you should check it out it's episode 56 i'm pretty sure sorry jury should have mentioned that earlier um grand effect yeah could you could you do you mind giving like a sort of an elevator pitch on what exactly that is the force that sort of sucks the car to the ground okay um so there's a thing called the venturi effect uh, basically, if you have a pipe, right, and you have a steady input and output uh, at the in at the inflow uh, sta- end of the pipe, is going to be the same volume of 
of, of gas or liquid at the other. Like you're going to have the same volume coming out as, as coming in. Hmm. What's funny is if you squeeze the pipe and now it looks a bit like an hourglass on its side. Um, apparently that doesn't change. Like inflow still matches outflow. So how does this happen? It's because to like it is because of the Venturi effect. All the uh, all the fluid in the pipe speeds up to go through that funnel, and then slows down as it hits the the outflow point. And in that phenomenon, you have the possibility to locally change air pressure underneath a car, and so you can create uh, think of them as like grooves underneath a car, where uh, you have that similar structure, sort of, you know, sort, sort of an hourglass figure almost, and you have these pockets of faster moving air underneath the car, uh, air moving faster than it is coming in or than it is leaving. And basically what you've created there is a local low pressure system uh, underneath the car that increases the adhesion, right? Uh, and so that is the ground effect aerodynamics that people are playing around with, and they played around with it in the past. Um, it became it was it was so powerful when it was sort of introduced um, that it ended up being uh, banned because it, 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 the cars that were I got, who was it was it McLaren? I I, I feel like this is a massive brain fart. My man, I can't remember which team it was who actually introduced it, but that in that era that was basically outlawed. Um, IndyCar uses it though, right? Uh, then I don't like. I am not. I'm not to sure. a certain degree. I th- yeah, okay, yeah, but yeah. By the way, uh, podcast uh, 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 shift F1 podcast at gmail dot com and f one dot slash emails if you have any um, angry uh, replies to us uh, butchering some of the specific technical specs of what we're about to talk about. But in relation to the new cars, uh, a lot of this stuff is going to be standardized, which is uh, good because it'll stop the sort of. Um, uh, you know, certain teams getting a leg up in terms of the ground effect. The two Venturi tunnels on the front are going to be standardized. The T-tray underneath the car is going to be standardized. Uh, but the FIA have put out a bunch of pictures for like different v- sort of versions of the uh, the cars uh, as they uh, sort of how they can be created within the broader spec sheet that they can play with. Um, and there's a lot to be done there. Uh, one of the obviously the knock-on effects of having this ground effect is that you're reliant less on aerodynamic grip which means that you kind of like sort of more simple frames more simple front wings more simple um uh, rear wings and that's kind of the chunk of what the second section is which is the new bodywork. um so there's no more barge boards uh they have wheel covers and also wheel deflectors so i guess i probably know them mostly from i guess watching formula e probably just like little sort of like tiny i don't want to say wings but they kind of look like little wings over the wheels themselves uh the wheels are bigger now they're 18 in- inches um the uh, the front wings are are beautiful looking at least in the sort of spec that they've shown so far um most notably is the end plates on them which have been this sort of i feel like the end plates have gotten more and more complex and more and mm-hmm. more wobbly looking and crazy over the past couple of years um they're almost like one just piece now. Very, very simple. The wings aren't as big and boisterous as I've gotten over the past um, couple of years. And also the nose kind of sticks out on them in the way they used to back in the 90s, where it's kind of just like the nose is extended onto the wing a little bit. Um, 
which is really cool. The rear end plate, sorry, the rear wing doesn't even have an end plate. Uh, and they are retaining DRS, but they're basically retaining it to see if it's still needed or not. The hope is that it will be removed if the overtaking um, is is good enough without it. But instead of removing it and then bringing it back in again, they're just going to run a season or two with DRS um, still enabled. Uh, what did you think of all the, the, the bodywork stuff? I, I think the look of the car is very exciting i think that i think i think the uh, halo actually works a lot better on this car it kind of feels more part of it instead of something that's kind of stuck onto the old type yeah i mean it looks it looks a hell of a lot sleeker uh now we'll see what the car actually looks like once the teams really get a hold of it and the different design departments <laughs> go to work what once rich energy is written all over it yeah i mean but I, I think even separate and apart from the branding uh that gets slapped over these things um i don't know how much I'm always surprised at the ingenuity the teams show in mm. overcoming aspects of technical regulations to uh, to sort of get back to the F1 designs we've we've seen in recent years. Um, but the sort of the, the the spec we see and the uh, models we've seen of it look really cool. It's got a very low slung. Uh, aerodynamically simple sleekness. Uh, mm. that I think we associate with cool sports cars and old open-wheel racers. Um, then I guess let's go under the hood a little bit because we focused on the outside. Uh, there are some minor uh, engine regulation tweaks being brought in. Uh, the power units are allowed to be a little bit heavier, uh, but they're only going to be allowed to use commercially available parts for every aspect of uh, the uh, power unit at this stage. Um Customer teams are going to have access to a bit more stuff as long as it doesn't contravene existing contracts that they have. So this means the customer teams. Um, so for instance, any, you know, uh, anyone who's buying an engine off of Ferrari or Renault, uh, they'll now get access to a bunch more stuff, including uh, the fuel mixtures, the software that's been used, engine maps, and a bunch of other stuff. And then a slight little tweak that's been made to the fuel is that they will now need to have at least 20% renewables. That is going to be cranked up in future years um, as well. But uh, no refueling. Yeah, that's it. Once we just get the planes to fly them everywhere. (laughs) F1 is carbon neutral, baby. Biofuel all the way. Um, uh, There was a bunch of information on new parts regulations as well. Honestly, I found it so... Minute, minute and boring that I'm not even going to bother talking about it right now. Um, but the sporting regulation stuff, a couple of interesting things here. Uh, the they're allowed to have 400 hours of wind, oh, sorry, 400 wind tunnel runs. Uh, that'll be dropping it to 300 after the first season. Um, and in spite of them, I think maybe they've simplified some of the penalties. But in spite of that, they've introduced a new one, which is that. Uh, you're only allowed to replace brake discs once per round, so once per weekend, um, and not doing so will will incur uh, will incur grid penalties. Um, so uh, there you go. I guess I guess that's to do with the new the new brakes themselves. There's a, a bunch of new um, uh, uh, like the the way in which the brakes work and the way in which the suspension works have been tweaked as well in terms of just how those parts are allowed to be built so perhaps it has something to do with that um it was weird in the f1 video they talked about this next section which was the the shortening of the weekend i think as a as a viewer 
there is essentially no difference but the the problem they were having was by extending this season to 25 which is what they're hoping in 2021 that they're they're just going to take so much more time for every single person who's involved with the team to fly somewhere else so what they're doing is that they're basically eradicating the thursday um which means two things one the press conference is getting moved from thursday to friday morning before uh, first practice and more importantly is that scrutineering which was previously done on thursdays is now being pushed to the friday morning as well and they reckon this might have a knock-on effect with how uh, adventurous teams are with uh, in terms of um getting stuff on the car considering that the moment scrutineering is finished they're into p1 so if something comes back from scrutineering that is uh you know needs to be tweaked or changed then they might risk losing um uh, a run on a on on the first run of practice which could be really important um yeah uh shall i keep going yeah i'm just i'm thinking well one thing 25 yeah. races i would yeah. also though simultaneously okay so my car fails scrutineering say it goes as badly as it can possibly go and like i burn a race weekend right but if the upshot was i found a really real competitive advantage nobody found uh i don't know 25 races you start getting into you start getting into like major league baseball math right where <laughs> it's, it's like, like min maxing no well it's like at 25 races each race doesn't count for the same it just doesn't count the right. same and like yeah. it becomes more viable to say we can run a development race and it's not the end of the world um i don't know it, it, the, the math starts to get weird 25 races is so many races. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. so it, many. And I don't know. Uh, it feels like the season is beginning and ending, you know, similarly <clears throat> to what it was in years past, but we're definitely <laughs> but getting just, fewer of those breaks. Yeah. Yeah. And like good news for those of us in the content business, I guess, uh, which is which is <laughs> yeah. very much what F, which 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 is what Liberty's model is, right? Like, right. that's yeah. the other thing is they want to extend their season order of the Formula One show. Yeah, uh, totally. But I do think people flagged the issue of wear and tear on nerves, teams, people, budgets. Twenty five races is a lot. Shortening that day, I don't know if that's as meaningful as they think because. If you give me the same amount of work, but then you say, yeah. ah, you have to do it in three days instead of four, mm. my response is not to be, oh, thank you, you saved me a day. My response is to say, go to hell. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's an interesting, <clears throat> you know, does last thing on a Thursday or first thing on a Friday mean much of a difference to a lot of these folks? Um, maybe it was the minimum amount they could do. It's just a sort of a bit of a piecemeal you know, gift to to apologize for the twenty five races, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. It, it means that they're going to be entering a, a whole new season and a whole new cars with a lot of racing to do. So it's going to be pretty frenetic. I am going to laugh my ass off if Liberty accidentally creates like a F one mechanics union uh, right, off yeah. the back of this. If like you know, two <laughs> years from now, it's like, geez, like there's a lot of like radical labor activism, uh, activism up and down pit lane, uh, <laughs> as like the screws have just been tightened too much. <laughs> uh, one of the last things to talk about here, I got like four sort of main points to talk about left. Uh, some new safety features. Uh, the cockpits are m- being made taller and slightly longer to uh, help. Um, some of our uh, our taller race race drivers. Uh, finally, my day has come. All right. Well, <laughs> see you, everybody. Uh, time to live my dream. 
and interestingly this in reaction to i guess what we've seen in recent years which is the and i feel like a lot of this is to do with those bloody front and wing end plates but the the amount of times that they've had to pull a virtual safety car because of debris on the track so what they're going to do is they're going to be uh, applying a rubber membrane to uh, some of the exterior looser parts of the car there's also going to be an increased number of tethering going on just not just on the wheels but on other parts and the idea of this is that instead of this sort of like you know shattering effect we've seen where, where pieces of debris have just like cascaded from from wings clipping each other that uh, hopefully they'll retain some of them or if parts fall off that it'll be singular parts instead of just this sort of glass effect that's been happening um which has made it so it's been taking longer for the the tracks to be cleaned up uh, after these instances uh, so that's a that's a new one i hadn't thought about that uh the next point, I guess, is the big one everyone was looking forward towards, and whether or not it'll actually make much of a difference is uh, is probably says a lot about what cap you wear on a weekend. Um, they have brought in a cost cap; it's 175 million, so they'll only be allowed to spend 175 million. I think that's is that euro. I should have. I think, I I think pro- I F1's common currency is euro. Euro. Um, Apologies if not, but I'm pretty sure, yeah. Uh, this does not include, crucially, marketing, which seems that's, that's a no-brainer, but also the driver's salaries are exempt from this as well. So, you know, obviously that will benefit the, the bigger teams. Um, they will be doing, I'm not really sure if I should call it a dry run, but they're going to be applying, they're going to be doing this next year as a test. There will be no penalties given it's it's more of a feasibility study i think than anything else so they're gonna they're gonna basically apply it without applying any of the rules afterwards um but uh yeah if anyone breaks the cost cap stuff they said they'll come down on them hard um it'll be interesting interesting to see how much of this the transparency we'll get to it on the last point but they're were, they're requiring a lot more transparency from teams to be part of this financially though you know so often a lot of this stuff is, is is swept under the rug so we'll have to see how much of a difference that makes well especially like the manufacturer teams always have that ability to be like oh well we you know we make cars so right. there was just some r&d going on over here <laughs> and what do you know it had dual use applications yeah your yeah your your renault <clears throat> road car is going to be covered in a in in front wings um in 2022 uh Second to last piece to talk about here is the gearbox and suspension changes. A bunch of changes being made to the way suspensions are put together. I forget those rods they use. They're going to be getting rid of those and, and applying some other type of mechanism. Um, but crucially, in, in a in an effort to stop the sort of overspending in this area, they are going to be freezing development on the gearboxes from 2021 until 2025. Uh, they will allow one R&D upgrade in that period, um, but that is all. So essentially, the gearboxes that they have at the start of 2021 will be the same ones. Uh, you know, the, the the gearbox as it is built, not the specific gearbox. They can replace gearboxes, but the uh, yeah, the way in which it works um, fundamentally will be the same for those uh, five seasons, I guess, 2021 to 2025. Uh, and then the last thing uh, is another bit of a sort of a new innovation that's coming in, which is the the CAD, which is computer aided design. The uh, the teams will be submitting basically full specs of their cars in CAD to FIA, 
And if I will use those, they are going to be scanning cars at the events and then essentially using the submitted CAD profiles against what is being used, what is being shown on race day, and uh, essentially using that as a sort of a uh, as a as a as a test to make sure that nothing has been added uh, or it's not going to pass scrutinizing. So that's another aspect of them asking, you know, asking teams to submit and be a bit more transparent about what they've actually got on the cars. Um, yeah. And that's the that's the bones of it. What's what's the stuff that you're most excited about uh, in terms of these new regulations, Rob? Oh, excited about I don't know. Curious about very much uh, a lot of it. The gearbox change just seems huge. Uh, gearboxes right. have been such a huge part of the story of F1 in recent years that the idea that they would slow down development of gearboxes that radically um, is pretty astonishing to me. Uh, so that that. I don't know. It's uh, I, I'm very curious what model they are trying to go to in terms of what does the engineering competition in the future of F1 look like? Uh, because a lot of this seems to point in the direction of they want to de-escalate uh, that duel. Right. And they're probably right. I mean, I think Raikkonen was out there making the comments that no one cares if these cars are as fast as they as they are. Like they, they, what they care about is good racing. The cars can be slower, and if the racing's better, nobody will care. And so I think uh, F1 for a long time has sort of been at odds with itself about, well, we want great racing, but also we need to be at the very cutting edge of progress and motorsport. Hmm. And we define that by fast lap times. Um, but a lot of times that progress has come at the expense of good on-track competition. This seems like a sharp correction for that. Um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, those are the rules. Uh, it, it looks like none of that stuff should change. Uh, there, there might be some additions and, and, and tweaks coming over the the coming you know year and a half, as it were. But uh, that's that's the racing to look forward to in twenty twenty one. This is kind of what Liberty have been uh, zoning towards for the past two or three years. So it's kind of a big moment. Um, but uh, we have a lot of... Uh, next year does feel a little bit like a caretaker season, the more and more I think about it, just with so many of the... We talked last week, Rob, about the number of drivers whose contracts are up, not just lower, shorter contracts, but some of the top teams. Um, a lot of the uh, uh, you know top drivers' contracts are also running out. So between that and the, the promise of these new regulations, um, it's going to be fun. It seems like it's going to be, re- be a real shuffle. Uh I just hope it doesn't take away from next year's at all. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Uh, all right, let's get into the fantasy standings. We don't usually make you wait an hour and a half before we get down to the the real championship that everyone cares about. Uh, let's go with the winners from USA. First of all, uh, we actually had a, a real draw festival on the podium. It was a very busy podium for uh, for the uh, US Grand Prix. Bucker, sorry, let's start with fourth or, or third third position i guess let's let's i think technically this means that it's it's the fourth position but they would be the third on the podium shared is Hygie racing marlboroughs a cigarette eating its own tail and at drubert corgi um all tied then mclando trademarked uh is next uh, on their own and then joint first is buckaroo banzai and ted kravitz's shorts so a lot of people 
who didn't pick Sebastian Vettel um, getting uh, uh, pretty high up there. But let's go with the uh, top five as it is in our championship. In fifth place, we have Jacked Up Racing. In fourth, G's Mercedes driver team hedged by Ferrari. Uh, in third, we have St. Jovese racing team. In second, to the future part three. I still haven't gotten that license plate. And in first, of course, the most defining team of them all this season, Rich Volt F1 Energy team. Uh, we love stewards. Um, is is winning? Did you see the? Uh, <laughs> I hate to bring up the specter of Rich Energy. Did you see the McLaren thing that happened? No. Oh my goodness! I totally forgot about putting this in the news. Um, but uh, it's 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 worth mentioning, if nothing else, for the the quote um, that it uh, it forced uh, McLaren uh, to make. Uh, Rich Energy did a tweet. I'll put it in the show notes. Actually, you know what? I won't. Just go to at Rich L underscore Energy if you want to see it. Um, it's a picture of the Haas. Uh, I guess they're 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 building. They what do you call those? The little the the the, the build the little temporary buildings they make at the not the garage but the trailer. The, the, the trailer i guess it's it looks so much more beautiful than a trailer um uh, a picture of it saying premium british performance with at rich energy hashtag rich energy hashtag f1 hashtag new deal hashtag mclaren hashtag renault f1 uh which forced zach brown unfortunately to have to get on the blower about this um he was asked by i don't know some 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 outlet about it um uh, he didn't seem to know much about it. He says, uh, did you know about it? Not at all. I was sent that tweet and the guy obviously likes to draw attention to himself. I haven't spoken with them. I won't speak with them. I think this is an attempt to get some publicity. Uh, so there you go. Unfortunately, Rich Energy will probably not have a team next year. Uh, should we go to emails? Absolutely. Going to keep it short this week. Shift F1 podcast.gmail.com or F1.cool slash emails if you were sent us your email. This one from Scott. I'm going to read it myself because it's kind of my bad. Uh, it's about reversing. Uh, he says, Only recently started watching Formula One, but find your podcast very informative and helpful before and after races to keep up with the news and minutiae of the sport. Thank you very much. Uh, my question relates to reversing. You mentioned on the latest episode that you believed that reversing was outlawed completely during racing conditions. I also assumed that this was true until I remembered in Azerbaijan, I think, uh, Ricardo reversing into Grosjean and clipping his car. I believe that was Danny Kivat, actually. Um, uh, I don't know how much about... I don't know much about gearboxes, but it seemed to me uh, that if reversing was not allowed at all, that there wouldn't be much uh, of a reason to allow the car to do so, possibly saving on weight, etc., Conversely, I would have been under the impression that it wouldn't make much sense to even allow reversing due to there not being much need to do so during the race. Hopefully, you're able to elaborate on this. Uh, yeah, so sorry, I don't. I must have had a brain fart last week and said that you can't reverse at all. You're not allowed to reverse in the pit lane, which is why was it Lando? I think he had that bad pit exit. Had to pull. He had over. to be hauled back. Yeah, but he could had not. He back. could not reverse himself down the pit lane. Yes, but he could be rolled back. Correct. You are you're in in normal racing editions. You are allowed reverse. Uh, it's I think under more scrutiny than most other. It's like re-entering the track yeah. with Vettel, where it's it's you know it's it's something that you can get penalized for. Um, a good example is what you just brought up there, Scott, which was Ricardo. I'm pretty sure it was Danny Kvyat. He reversed into in Baku. Remember yeah. when they both went down that exit? Right, road? and that's a good um, example of like 
that exact use case is why reverses on these cars. They have escape roads. They have dead ends that you need to be able to get an F1 car out of. You need people to be able to use those and then not have that be a race-ending slip-up. But then the assumption is you're going to use it responsibly and you're not going to go down an escape road in a, in a street race, throw that baby into reverse, and just K-turn your way back <laughs> into the racing line and continue racing. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's where the scrutiny comes in is like you're allowed to reverse out of situations like that. Um, and it's a useful it's, it's why that gear is useful, but it is incredibly dangerous to be reversing around other cars. And uh, yeah, it, it is under much more scrutiny. Yeah, it's uh, it's also worth mentioning as well that the cars don't have the best visibility. <laughs> it's not a, we're so used to having little cameras on the backs of our cars; they have massive blind spots on them as well, which is why you know we had that issue back in Monza with Vettel re-entering the track as well. Um, so it's something they have to be very careful about. There was one I want to say two years ago, Monaco during practice, Verstappen went down the exit on turn one on that left side and reversed back on and I think it might have been Vettel that had to take evading action to get out of his way so there have been times where um folks have if if not penalized that they've been they've been reprimanded for doing uh for for using their reversing powers in a in a dangerous manner but uh yeah thank you for emailing in Scott I, I had no idea I I messed up and, and said that uh, like I said, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. If you have any emails, you can reach us on Twitter. That's shiftf1podcast. We like to retweet uh, sort of interesting news that's happening along with any gifts of Pastor Maldonado that are sent our way. Um, that's pretty much it, my friend. Uh, this was a long podcast. I know you're sick, so I appreciate you taking the time to join me. Uh, what are you looking forward to for the rest of the season? We've only got two races left, but they're they're both goodies, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I think like Brazil is a great is a great circuit. There's uh, a lot of good racing that that happens there. Abu Dhabi is always a satisfying finale. Um, I'm hard pressed to think of really amazing duels, like in terms of it being like really dramatic on track action. I don't know, but it's a really photogenic venue. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, for the rest of the season, I'm curious if Botas can maintain his form. Hmm. I'm curious if we see anything else from Ferrari in terms of them trying to troubleshoot their car, or whether they've gone completely into uh, keeping the powder dry for, uh, for for next year. Right. Um, those are probably my the, the the main things I'm I'm watching out for. Yeah, I think uh, that that pack in the middle has kind of shaken out a little bit now, but uh, I'm still interested to see um, some some nice battling there. I think now everyone's gotten their seats as well. There's a little bit of the edge just taken off, but uh, yeah, who doesn't love going down to Brazil and 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 fl- flying around that that crazy track, the classic Interlagos, and then like you said, Abu Dhabi, obviously a lot a lot newer, but um, yeah, hey, if nothing else, it's a perfect time for all those F1 drivers to go on roller coasters. And who doesn't love that? Uh, Rob Zachney, he's at Rob Zachney on Twitter. I'm at Danny Dwyer. If you want to hit us up, shout out to Drew, who's on assignment. We'll get him back next week as we prepare to go to Brazil. Until then, have a great week, everyone. We will see you next time. Yeah.